The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Merry Christmas, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You're listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number eight. Christmas is fast approaching here in 2018, and these last couple weeks I've had a few discussions with some friends of mine about Christmas. And I don't know if a lot of you know the pagan traditions that have brought us the things like the Christmas tree and exchanging presents. And some of you may not know some of the biblical realities behind Christmas and the wise men. And then my personal favorite subject in this entire story is about the star. The star in the east that supposedly or legendarily showed up over Bethlehem for the wise men to follow. Is that actually a real story? Is that actually something that happened in the skies? If so, that's kind of a big deal, right? I always think holidays are a great time to dig deeper into the truths that we say we believe. So kick back with your glass of eggnog, if that's something you do, and let's have a chat about Christmas. All right, here we are, episode number eight. I want to talk to you about Christmas today. You know, it's it, the Christmas season is upon us, and Christmas is uh, coming up in a few days as of the recording of this episode. And so, yes, there is a bit of an obligatory Christmas sermon coming your way. <laughs> but to be honest, it's it's something that I enjoy talking about this time of year. There's, you know, if you need to hear the story of Christ and the and his coming and everything like that in a sense of hearing a salvation message and you're going to go to church and you're going to get that Christmas and or Easter, you know, uh, altar call. So be it. Uh, That's not necessarily something I've ever done. Even when I was at a church as a full-time pastor, I I was, I never did a single altar call, at least not a salvation one. Anyway, I'm just now realizing that. Hmm. Anyway, so Christmas and all of these different subjects around it, for me, is something that I think bears a second look, not because we don't understand how to enjoy the season or because there's necessarily some deep spiritual insight to get, but because for me, whenever I want to spend hundreds of dollars and hundreds of hours of my time on something, I want to know why I'm doing it. And Christmas you know, one of the big things that's coming around these days is it's being attacked by people, by sincere believers who don't know what to do with it because it's originated as a pagan holiday. Uh, December 25th is, and I'll explain, unpack it a little bit more uh, later on in the, in the episode, but December 25th is the end of a series of events for winter solstice. And early on in the church, in church history, when the Christian religion became the official religion of Rome, they spent a very long time trying to get the pagan religions to switch over to Christianity. And at some point they decided, instead of trying to get the pagans to let go of their holidays and let go of their traditions, they would just appropriate them for Christianity. And hence, December 25th became the official day of Jesus' birthday. 
even though that's not even close to when it was. It's actually closer to September, uh, you know, way earlier than the Wiseman ever showed up. But point being is that there's a lot of things we do at Christmas that if you dig deep, you may find, oh my goodness, this, is not, this isn't Christian at all. This isn't in the Bible. And while that is true, I would say take heart, because in the end, at the end of this thing, I want to bring you a, a concept that Paul brings us in, in Colossians, where it really is, we're no longer under a system of do's and don'ts, and that let no man judge you according to any new moon festival or any feast or any holiday, anything like this. If you can bring yourself to understand a little bit more about it, more power to you. But in the end, it's all any holiday is only worth what you put into it. And so, as I said, there's no, not a whole lot of deep spiritual revelation or insights that I'm going to bring you today. I just want to share some stuff that I learned that I find either fascinating or freeing um, or deeply inspiring, especially when I talk about the Star of Bethlehem. That's one of my favorite uh, pieces of this whole thing. Because studying the stars and studying the ages, as if, you, if you've listened to a few of these episodes already, I regularly reference the ages and time, hence new age Christianity. And Jesus came and he was born at the culmination of the ages. He also came in a season like we find ourselves living, where the stars were telling of something bigger and better going on. So... You guys have all seen the nativity scene, right? With the three wise men and the shepherds and Jesus in a manger and a couple donkeys and a cow and maybe a sheep and obviously Mary and Joseph. And somehow someone's always got a staff. I think it's probably usually the shepherds, but sometimes Joseph does, which is, I think people just put him in the wrong spot. Anyway, so there, that's a beautiful scene and we all have this nativity, but do you realize it's actually historically inaccurate? Uh, the three wise men, uh, there's a few things about them that are largely assumed. One, there's an assumption that there were three of them. In reality, there were three gifts. There was the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But there were probably quite a few more than just three wise men. The reason being is that they, they were magi that came from uh, the school of magic and astrology in Babylon. That's the same school that is believed that Daniel helped found over 400 years earlier. And if he wasn't the founder, he was at least one of the major contributors to its overall understanding. Just go read the book of Daniel and you'll see how powerful he was in the Babylonian mystical culture. So when you look at where they came from, from the school of the Magi, and you look at what they brought, they brought these gifts straight to Herod expecting to find a king. How did they know all this? Well, they knew this because Hebraically, they, the Hebrews knew that a Messiah was coming. The Hebrews knew that the story was in the stars. There's 12 constellations, and the 12 tribes of Israel correspond to these 12 constellations. The lion of the tribe of Judah, if you get Leo, um, you, you get that there is a sequence of events in the stars that takes place that these Magi knew was coming. And we'll talk about that, the actual sequence in a minute. But the Magi knew it was coming, and they knew that it foretold of the King of the Jews. They knew that it foretold the coming of the Messiah. And they brought with them 
essentially a king's ransom. They brought they brought gifts to a king, expecting to meet a king in the palace of a king. And obviously, as you know, they met Herod. Herod had no clue who this who this king was, and there was no concept of the king of the Jews. And when you look at how Herod interacted with them, you can actually realize that the Magi, not only was there more likely more than three, but they weren't there the night Jesus was born. It was more likely that they were there almost two years later. And you get this from a few things. One, we'll talk about, as I said, we'll talk about the actual events of the stars and how long the stars stood over Bethlehem. But one of the major hints that we have that the, that the Magi were there likely a couple of years later is when Herod asks them how they knew about this, and they say, well, we saw his star in the east. He, said, he asked them about when did the star appear? Now, we don't have a record of that conversation, but we do know that just a few verses later, Herod orders his soldiers to kill any male-born child two years or younger. If the baby had just been born, if Jesus had just been born that night, why on earth would Herod want every child under two years old killed? Well, when you look at what was happening in the stars, you realize that the night Jesus was born, these events started to unfold. And it was over a year and a half later that these events in the heavens and in the stars, they finished. And this is when the Magi are there looking at the star over Bethlehem as they stand in Jerusalem and they look towards that star. It sits over Bethlehem. And if you remember the story from the Bible, they go see Jesus, they give him the gifts, they worship him, and then as they're about to leave, an angel comes to them and says, don't go back to Herod, okay? And then an angel also comes to Joseph later on and says, flee and go to Egypt. Herod wants to kill your boy. And I believe, and many scholars believe, that the, that the funds they were essentially given as gifts from the Magi were one of the major things that allowed them to leave and flee to Egypt and survive financially. So the Magi not there that night, probably more than three, and very realistically um, bringing a king's ransom of value and gifts to them, is those are just cool little facts. Like I said, nothing spiritually shocking, just those little facts about just how real this whole story is. And when you look at the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. This is another little piece that I, if you're familiar with Rob Bell, I'm a huge fan of Rob Bell. Um, not necessarily because I agree with everything he teaches, but because I, I, I have a lot of appreciation for what he has endured at the hands of the church. I tend to think that if I was as famous as he was, that I would endure many of the same hardships. So there's a bit of a kindred spirit that I have with Rob Bell. But he wrote a book called Velvet Elvis years ago that changed my life. And I've written blogs on a series of, you know, what books changed my life. And that was the first one. But in there, he talked about having faith that was like more like a trampoline and less like a brick wall. And his example was, what if someday proof came out that Jesus, that, you know, the Jewish understanding or the Greek understanding of the word virgin meant that someone got pregnant the very first time they had sex, right? Born of a virgin. And so therefore, Jesus wasn't actually born of a virgin, but Joseph was his father and he was born out of wedlock. And 
the point Rob Bell is making is, is that your faith is so fragile that that realization would ruin it. And it, his point was well made. At the same time, I would come back and, and I'd tell Rob if he was to, if I were ever to meet him and he were to ask my opinion, I'd say, Rob, that was that was one of the worst examples you could possibly use. Not because his point wasn't well taken, but because if Jesus was born of Joseph, then Jesus had a sin nature. And so one of the major, major, major realities behind Christmas and the value of the story is that Jesus came into this world without the seed of Adam, without the sin nature that is, and scripture tells us that sin is passed down from the father, right? From generation to generation through the father. And that is why Jesus could not have an earthly fallen father. So Jesus being born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, uh, there is an entire doctrine in the Catholic Church that talks about Mary being perfect. Um, I don't believe that's the case. Obviously, she was chosen, but there is the the Immaculate Conception. Actually, if you dig deep, is not a, is not a doctrine about Jesus being conceived. It's actually a doctrine about Mary being conceived, because they've made they had to make Mary a god as well. That's a whole other story. I'm not trying to get into that. What I'm trying to say is, is that Jesus could not have been born of Joseph primarily because sin comes through the seed of the male. And the beauty, the beauty of the virgin birth really is non-negotiable in the, in the story of humanity because the righteousness and perfection of what Jesus did required that there be no male involvement in his literal creation, but that it would be a heavenly father and that he would have a heavenly seed so that we could also have that same seed sown into us. So a few things about, about the Christmas story. Now, my favorite subject inside of this holiday is about the star. And as I mentioned, it is, uh, it's very, it's near and dear to my heart because I so much appreciate the story of the stars and understanding that they were made for signs and for seasons. And I think in modern day Christianity, we kind of look at astrology and the stars and what they've, what part they've played for us. And we take it for granted. We take for granted when we read the story of Jesus and his birth, that there was an, a heavenly event taking place. It's almost like we have this, I know I did as a kid and largely through college and even early adulthood, that there was like this magical supernova thing that lasted for just the right amount of time. Or maybe somehow there was like this really bright angel that hovered there for a while. <laughs> you get these cartoon images of where like the stars like inside the atmosphere <laughs> and it's floating over this, this small little barn in Bethlehem. And somehow these, these magi saw it from hundreds of miles away. <laughs> You know, we, we take for granted the mechanics of how this would work. But when you consider that the universe, that stars that are thousands of light years away, performed a dance in the sky that, that bring these magi to Bethlehem at the right moment and the right place at the right time. I think that is freaking amazing. And I think that that is worth studying and worth 
taking a second and just saying, oh my goodness. Oh my God. Seriously. Oh my God. Like that's amazing, God. The the things that you did to announce your son and the story you told from the beginning about his coming. And honestly, the story that is still being told in the stars. But that's another recording as well. So some of the mechanics behind that, the Beth, the Star of Bethlehem, uh, you may have seen in the news a couple of years ago, maybe it was last year or the year before, um, the Star of Bethlehem was actually formed again in the skies. And it is a mix of events between uh, Jupiter and Venus and the star Regulus and the constellation of Leo and Virgo. And I'm going to do my best to convey the sequence of events and how they relate to the Magi and the ultimate culmination with them finding Jesus. So the first start, like in, sep- in around September of 3 BC, um, by the way, Jesus was not born in 0 BC. Uh, he was born uh, three years before. So in 3 BC, Jupiter, and you can go back and map what the stars were doing. They actually have computer programs. You can plug in a date and look at a particular spot in the sky, and they know what all the stars and the planets are doing. And so you can rewind it back and see what was really happening. This is how they know this. And so in September of 3 BC, Jupiter and the star Regulus actually start to overlap and essentially become one bright spot in the sky. Now, Jupiter in ancient times was known as the king planet or the planet of the kings or the crowning planet. And Regulus was known as the king star. And so when you, what you see is that the king of the stars has, become, has joined with the king of the planets. So that's one thing that's amazing. The second thing is, is that this entire event was taking place inside of the constellation of Leo, the lion. Okay. That's a, that's another thing. Another thing on top of that is that, okay, if you're familiar with, if you've ever heard of it, that um, different planets can be in retrograde. And what this is like, so you know when you're on the freeway and you're driving faster than the car next to you, that it looks like the car next to you is going backwards? That's exactly, so the planets are all moving and we are moving. And so at times, the Earth's movement in correlation to the movement of other planets, it looks like they're actually moving backwards. And it's not that they are, but it's that we're simply moving at that spot. Visually, we're moving faster than them. And so in this case, Jupiter is very close to Regulus and is essentially doing a dance with Regulus where it goes close to Regulus and then it comes on the other side and then Jupiter goes in retrograde and comes back to the other side of Regulus and then Jupiter comes out of retrograde and then goes back to the other side of Regulus. So if you can imagine, it looks like Jupiter is circling, circling, good grief, circling, yes, circling Regulus for a few weeks as if it is making a circle around that star. I saw one article that talked, you know, kind of talked about it being a coronation, which I thought was a pretty cool concept. So you have this beginning of the sequence of events where Jupiter and Regulus are doing this dance inside of the constellation 
of Leo. Okay. That whole sequence of events takes place with a few other minor events for the next nine months. And then at the be- nine months later, you begin to see another event starting to take place where Jupiter is now starting to coincide and collide, not collide, but coincide visually with the planet of Venus. So then Jupiter and Venus are combining and this entire uh, this entire moment or this entire thing in the stars is taking place inside of the constellation of Virgo, the Virgin. Okay. There's articles that I will link to on the podcast on the website that will explain this in much better detail than what I'm doing here. But when you consider what's going on in the stars and you consider these magi and how they're looking at it, they see the cor- the crowning of, of Regulus. They see then this the Jupiter comes and is now joining with Venus inside the Virgin. And it's not like this stuff happens a lot. Okay. In the in the way that I'm describing it now, this particular set of events only happens every two thousand years. And it just so happened to hap it's just so happened that we have all recently lived through this once again. It gets close to this every so many years, and it gets and it gets really close to this every few hundred years, but to the to the quality and the clarity of this sequence of events, it only happens every couple thousand years. And so when you look at the timing, if you took the timing of the the wise men when they see the initial sign and they leave Babylon and they start making their way to Jerusalem, you would see that if you were standing in Jerusalem and you were looking now at the sequence of events with Jupiter and Venus inside of the inside of Virgo, oh wait, and by that point, um, Leo was inside the sun uh, when this is happening as well. If you're standing in Jerusalem and you're looking towards that star, What you're going to see as one last final thing is that Jupiter again goes into retrograde. And it just so happens that if you're standing in Jerusalem where the the wise men are, and they're talking to Herod, right? And they want to go find this baby. If you were to look at that same, if you were to look at Jupiter, it would be on the horizon just over Bethlehem. And it would stand, it would appear to stand still for a full, uh, for a few days while it's in retrograde, because as we're moving one way, it's moving, it appears to be moving the other way. And you would find that the star would essentially stand right over top of Bethlehem if you were standing in Jerusalem. So those little nuggets, I think are super freaking cool. (laughs) And for me, it's hard to convey just how powerful studying the stars can be. Because we do take it from granted. We take this story for granted. We take the prophecies and the typologies of Israel being like the stars, the sons of God being as the stars. And yet the imagery is from the first book all the way to the last. When you get into the book of Revelation, you have the woman clothed with the sun with 12 stars on her head and she's giving birth. And then you have the dragon coming after her. Now, if you consider what was happening around the time of Jesus, and you would consider Herod coming after the child, I am what is known as uh, a fulfillment uh, fulfillment eschatologist or realized eschatology, a preterist. Um, There's different language for it. But I believe that the events of Revelation have already happened. 
I believe that the events of Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 14 have already taken place. And I believe when it says that the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ, it's a revealing and unveiling of Jesus Christ, that the life, the birth, the life, the death, and the 40 years immediately after the life of Jesus, as the law was coming to an end, that all of the prophecies and all of those things have been fulfilled. I already did a podcast on the preterist viewpoint, and I'm just bringing it in here because, again, we have a picture of the stars. We have the woman giving birth to the sun, and the stars, and clothed with the sun, um, with the moon under her feet, and if you go do any research on this, you'll see that that's exactly what was going taking place in the sky. On a regular basis, for, for a handful of weeks and months, these events were, were taking place, and they don't take place all the time. <laughs> Unlike the blood moons, they don't take place all the time. By the way, if you, if it, the blood moons happen a lot, just so you know. Um, so anyway, that is the star and some facts about the wise men. And that leads me to kind of the big one that I know a lot of my friends struggle with who love Jesus and they really want to honor. And, and to be honest, they're afraid of being wrong or they're afraid of doing something outside of God's will. And namely, Christmas originated as a pagan holiday. The date of December 25th originated a pagan holiday. So it comes from the solstice concept. If you're not familiar, this, the, there are four solstices throughout the year. There's a spring, summer, fall, and winter solstice that takes place on the 21st of every third month. So there's, uh, you know, every quarter. The winter solstice for the Northern Hemisphere is obviously December 21st. But here's the cool thing, and this is not a coincidence. When the solstice, when the winter solstice and the summer solstice are in the sky, you can do it yourself. December 21st, oh my goodness, is actually today. So maybe you can't do it yourself. Well, you could. So if you knew when the sun or knew where the sun went down uh, on the horizon tonight, you could go tomorrow night and look again. You could go the next night and look again, and you could go the next night and look again, and it would appear to not be moving. Every other time of the year, the sun every night moves its angle just a little bit more. If you find the same, um, if you find the same geographic point to look at a tree on the horizon or a mountain on the horizon, you'll see, you know, and you check it every week or so that that sun is is moving away to, away from, or towards whatever uh, landmark you've picked out. Except on the evening, on the solstice, the winter and the summer solstice. And the reason is, is because it's essentially getting to the end of its cycle, and then it's slowly turning back the other way, right? The earth is starting to tilt back the other way. And so it looks, it appears as if it's not moving. And the ancients would look at this and they would view it essentially as the death of the sun. And three days later, the sun would rise again. And in that three days later, it would begin to move back towards spring and back towards summer. 
just consider what spring and summer are. It's the bring, it's it's the resurrection of life, and it is the entering into, you know, the beauty and the and the um, the harvest and everything like that. And then you go back to fall, and it's and it's starting to die, and then you get into winter, which is death. So this is an entire cycle concept of life and death. Now we live in a modern world where we don't have to worry about our food getting to us in the winter. We don't have to worry about staying warm. We don't have to worry about our work and our livelihood. But for thousands of years, winter was very much a coming of potential death and definitely hardship and difficulty. And so they would honor this and acknowledge this, that death would come, but three days later, the sun would rise and they would rise them. It would begin their entrance into new life. Now, if you haven't put two and two together, that probably it should sound really familiar to you that three day that the sun would die and then three days later it would be it would come back to life. It would be resurrected. So the reason that we celebrate Christmas not on the 21st, the actual solstice, but on the 25th is because of that three day uh, burial and then the, the resurrection that comes back. So that alone to me, if if people want to argue against um, having Christmas on the tw- December 25th and they want to move it over, I would then say, well, then fine, let's just replace it with Easter. <laughs> because if you want to match what the intention is with the stars, December 25th is actually a really wonderful representation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we celebrate it in spring because spring is... is uh, more readily noticeable as the bringing is the coming back to life. So I get it, but it's fine. None of this bothers me, but I do know that this is a challenge for some of my friends and, and, and some of you out there may have difficulty uh, reconciling with the fact that, that Christmas and December 25th was originally a pagan holiday. If you understand why my hope is, is that you can maybe insert some of your own intention and, find some freedom and some joy in that that maybe has been stolen from you. When you were a kid, you didn't care. You just freaking loved Christmas. You loved the presents. You loved the food. You loved the lights on the tree. And there is something about being as innocent as a child in some of this stuff that I find more value and more joy being around those people than those who want to pick it apart. And honestly, you might be thinking that this entire recording is is me picking it apart, um, and it kind of is, but it, hopefully you get my heart and my intention behind doing it. So yeah, December 21st, um, you know, the, uh, the tree coming in, I had a, a mentor of mine that, that I asked him, I said, so why, you know, what's, what's up with the Christmas tree? And this was when I was trying to figure out if I should celebrate Christmas or not. If I, if God was going to be mad at me and, uh, he had the perspective that I'm trying to share with you now about just where Paul says, let no man be your judge according to any feast or new moon festival or any holiday. Don't worry about it. Um, he said, you know, Austin, the, uh, the green Christmas tree is actually very biblical. I was like, really? Where would that verse be? And he reminded me that Jesus, when he's carrying the cross up the Via Dolorosa and he stumbles, I may be wrong on who he's speaking with, but I know it's a woman. And he, and he says, when he stumbles and they 
come over and they they essentially look on him with pity. He says, if they do this to a green tree, what would they do to a tree that is dry and, and withered? And he literally likens himself to a green tree. I think that is a beautiful picture of looking at an evergreen tree inside of your house celebrating the birth of Jesus. An evergreen tree inside your house. So the pagan concept or the, the ancient concept was once again a celebration of life in the midst of death. That it was a, yes, we're about to enter into, winter is about to get hard, but there is life inside of this house. There is, And they would bring different evergreen uh, branches and trees inside the home and, and they would put them at the, at the altars, you know, whether it was their idols or their, or their prayer room or whatever they had, they would, they would bring greenery inside as a reminder of what's coming and that there is life in the midst of the death, which again, I don't think is a bad idea. I think that's a beautiful picture. Um, the exchanging of presents was also, that, I mean, there, that, that concept's been around for a very long time. I've heard it taught in Sunday morning sermons that it comes from the fact that the wise men brought presents to Jesus. Ignoring the historical accuracy of that timeline, there's nothing that really ties those two concepts together, the wise men bringing presents and you bringing presents. What actually ties those concepts together is that the pagans for hundreds of years would have presents for each other. And I haven't found anything that's definitive as to why and I think there's no reason that it needs to have this massive or this super deep meaning other than it's a time for celebration and holiday and to show each other we appreciate each other. So Colossians 2.16, I've referenced this a few times, but it, it, it's, I'm going to quote this from the New American Standard. It says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now contextually, Paul is talking to Jews who are trying to figure out how to no longer be under the law. Right? So you have some who are saying we should should keep doing the feast days, we should celebrate the new moons, we should whatever. And then you have some saying we shouldn't, you know, we no longer under those things. And Paul is essentially saying, guys, stop it. Let no one judge you. He says in other places, let each man be convinced in his own mind. So my hope is that if you just hear a few of the deeper facts of, of the Bible, some of the stuff on the stars and maybe even some of the the beauty of the pagan traditions and how they viewed summer or winter solstice that maybe just maybe you might find something that something new to celebrate something new to to view for me (laughs) uh, i can't remember what comedian it was they joked about you know at christmas time christmas must have been a drunk man's idea because we bring all the trees inside and we put all of our lights outside (laughs) I know what we should do. We should bring out, we should cut down that tree and bring it inside and then take all these lights and put them outside. (laughs) Anyway, so, you know, I, 
when I look at the tree, when I look at the lights, when I look at the presents, I do see humor and I do see reality of the pagan holidays and the whatever, whatever, whatever. But I choose to overlay the things that I've learned. I'm not lying when I say, I'm not over, I'm not exaggerating when I say I look at my tree every time I pass it, every time I pass the tree that I have in my house, I think of Jesus. I think of, of his life in the midst of death. I think of the fact that he is, he was ever green. He was ever living, right? There was no life and death cycle. So when you meditate on trees and most of them, when the fall comes and they lose their leaves and there's this pruning process and everything like that, that, that is an image of humanity. I believe when you look at an evergreen, it is ever growing and always living and there is no death cycle in an evergreen, at least obviously till the very end. Jesus, he paints a picture of himself as being that kind of tree, that there is always life in that tree. And for me, the beauty of seeing ourselves in him is that we can shift from being trees that, that go through death and go through those seasons and we can become evergreens ourselves. When you throw the lights on a tree, I don't think it takes a, much of an imagination to, to stretch to the beauty of light and it being that you are the light of the world, that he was the light of the world and the presence underneath that he was a gift and we are gifts to each other. I mean, there's just so many beautiful ways to look at the tradition of the tree, the gifts, the lights. Um, I'm, I did an episode a few weeks ago on tithing, and one of the things I mentioned was how important it was to God that we feast and that we celebrate. So when you look at the food and you look at all, and you look at the drinking, oh my goodness, the drinking. Well, guess what? Deuteronomy actually says that you should buy meat and drink and whatever it is that your heart desires with some of that tithe. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful time to enjoy levity with your family, enjoy good food, eat too much, and don't, don't feel bad about it. You know, obviously you don't want to yell at your family and have arguments and, and ruin Christmas, but have a good time. There's nothing wrong with that. And how much, you know, whether you're celebrating Jesus's birth or the, the coming of winter or whatever version of the holiday you're choosing, let no man judge you. Be convinced in your own mind and enjoy life because he came that you would have life and he would have it more abundantly. So with that, I just want to say Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoy your holidays, enjoy your green trees, enjoy your extra food, enjoy your family. Maybe have a little bit too much to drink. Just don't get crazy and definitely don't drive. And uh, we will see you again next week uh, for the new year. God bless you guys. Love you.